right, brothers, welcome back to another episode of Porn of the Gospel. I am your host, Spencer Sutton, and it's great to be back here with you this morning. I am excited about this episode because it's building off of the last episode that we that that was shared last week. But before I dive into this week's episode, let me talk a little bit about a couple of resources that we've made available to you. Number one, if you are struggling with pornography and you need to really dive in deep to understand the gospel and as it relates to pornography addiction, I want to encourage you to visit naturalpornkiller.com. That is a website. You can access a free course. It's a free resource for you. You sign up and you will have access to week one of the material. There is going to be, I believe there's seven weeks worth of material. The next seven days, you'll get another, you'll have access to another part of the content. But I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with this and you need to dive deep and understand how the gospel addresses pornography addiction, please sign up for that. Again, it's free. However, if you are a believer and maybe you're still struggling with the same thing, but you want you need a community of believers, you realize that you can't do this on your own. You don't have anybody holding you accountable. You don't have anybody expecting something greater of you. Then I want to encourage you to join our community. And this community can be found at themanofvalor.com and you can join us we would love to have you. We are having weekly calls where we're looking at the gospel. We are we have a private group that we message each other back and forth with every day. And then we're also doing right now, we're at the very beginning of a 30-day challenge. And so this has been fantastic for me and fantastic for the brothers who are involved in that. So if you want to check that out, go visit themanofvalor.com and sign up. All right. This is part two. Last week, we discussed Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, his first letter to the church in Corinth. He had just finished in the first two chapters talking about the power and the wisdom of God as it's revealed in the cross of Jesus Christ, where people would not think that the God of the universe would subject himself to a life of service, not coming to be served, but coming to serve, service, humility, obedience to God. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and then ultimately sacrificed himself on the cross. And what Paul's saying is, this is just the power and wisdom of God that through this sacrifice, he can save all people who trust in him, who trust in Christ. And then he essentially stops and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, he said, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people or people filled with the Spirit, but as people of the flesh. And so what the word flesh there means, it's carnal flesh or worldly. So just think about a Christian who's still acting like they're living in the world. They're not acting as if their citizenship is in heaven. They're acting as if this world is all there is. He says, as infants in Christ. So you're babies in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And then he goes on later in the book 
to talk about the sexual sin that was in the church and talk specifically about sexual sin. And these are the marks. So last episode, I walked through the marks of a carnal Christian or a worldly Christian. And so the first one was just a prolonged infancy. This person is not growing in their relationship with Christ. They're not they're not maturing in their faith. They're essentially just coming to church and then leaving church and living their life the way they want to. Then they come back to church, and it's just a cycle that never produces any fruit or any growth in their life. The second one, the second mark of this carnal or worldly Christian is just this they are caught up in habitual sin all of the time. And so you and I, if you're listening to this and you're struggling with pornography, this is one of the marks that we continue to struggle with sin and are not finding lasting victory in it. And brother, if this is you, I know how you're feeling because that was me. This is what I was feeling like, always stuck not growing, not be being able to grow beyond this sin. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to find, we're going to, today we're going to talk about the remedy for that. The third characteristic of this carnal Christian was that they focus on visible works. It's easier for me to focus on visible works and things that I'm doing that people can see than it is the inward life, than it is like a spirit of love. And so the when a, when the spirit of God fills a man and he's living by the spirit, he's loving by the spirit. And the fruit produced is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We know these things. But the carnal Christian, the worldly Christian, looks focuses on worldly, or not worldly, on visible works. That could be giving, it could be serving, it could be teaching, because these people still have giftings. So this is one thing that Paul laid out in Corinthians. He's like, hey, you have these spiritual gifts, but that doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit. And then the fourth characteristic of the carnal Christian was they neglect the basic training that would make them fit for war. So they're not training. And training is, by the grace of God, it's spiritual disciplines is how you prepare for battle every day. And so you're giving yourself to the study of God's Word, to the reading of His Word, to the hearing of His Word, to prayer, to meditation, to memorization. There are several spiritual disciplines that we could get into, but we're not going to do that. But these are the characteristics of that person. And so now we want to address, and we want to come back to this and say, what is the solution? What is the remedy? for this. What is the remedy for this? And that's what we want to talk about today, because brothers, we don't want to be without hope. We don't want to remain ignorant of how God changes us, how God works in our lives to free us from sin. Remember, there's a, I can't remember exactly the quote, but I believe it's Spurgeon who was talking about Believers, Christian people who are stuck in sin are like men sitting in a prison with the cell door open and they stay in the prison, not truly realizing that they're free or maybe thinking they're free and legally they're free, but they don't understand how that becomes an experience. And that's 
if you read Romans, especially chapter six, verses one through 10, it's all about what is true of a believer legally. But verse 11 is saying you've got to consider, like deeply consider, reckon, think deeply about how this plays out in real life. You must reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a few things that we can do. I'm going to give you four, four points here, four ways that we can find a remedy and we can leave the infant lifestyle. We can leave the carnal lifestyle, the worldly Christian behind and grow up into maturity. This is what I want to discuss today. So the first thing, the first step that you and I need to do is you and I just need to have an honest assessment of ourselves. I believe this is what so many people avoid is just an honest assessment of ourselves. So instead of sitting down and taking pen to paper or pencil to iPad or whatever the case is, instead of doing that, we distract ourselves with a hundred different things. And the first step to the spiritual life is an honest assessment of yourself and of myself. And if you don't start there, then nothing else really matters. The rest of this podcast doesn't matter. Right. And so what you and I need to, so Spencer, what does an assessment look like? An assessment, first of all, you just need to examine the fruit of your life. How do we know what kind of tree we're looking at? We look at the fruit. And so the fruit of your life, both inward and outward, will reveal if you are a carnal Christian, a worldly Christian. And now the tendency, what we've done for so long, brothers, and myself included, is we've self-deceived. There's so much self-deception. We've deceived ourselves so much that it just we, be, we begin to believe the lies that we've told ourselves. The reason I'm this way is because X, Y, Z. The reason I'm this way is because X, Y, Z. And we begin to blame other people for our issues instead of taking a self-assessment and saying, okay, this is me. So brother, I want to tell you, if you are having trouble, if you're having major problems in your marriage, it's you. It's, it's you. It's, you know, we want to blame our spouse. My, my wife doesn't get it or this or that. It's you. Take responsibility. You are a man. You are called to lead. You are called to leadership, first of yourself, second of your family, and third in the workplace and at church. I remember going to villages in Africa and just remote villages and just doing assessments of the need. And so what were we looking at? When we were walking around these villages, the very first village that we went to where water, where we saw the water crisis in 2008 was a village called Wito in South Sudan. And the villagers took us, they took us and showed us their church building, which was just a, some sticks and a, a little hut. They showed us what they considered where the kids learned, would go to school. 
and it was really nothing that was like under a mango tree. And then they took us down this little windy path down to the water where they got their drinking water, their cooking water, their cleaning water. And it was a dirty, nasty cesspool. Now that was the input. So they were drinking that water. That was them taking in the dirty water. And what was the output of that? Input equals output. And we like to say in the business world, garbage in, garbage out. And this is the case. So they were drinking this dirty water. What was the result? Kids were sick. Kids were dying. We drove literally a few miles down the road and visited a Samaritan's Purse hospital where we walked over and prayed over numerous kids who were dying of waterborne diseases. So these assessments were very eye-opening. And there was no pretending this stuff away. There was no explaining this stuff away. It was very evident. But we were a third party, right? We were not living every single day in these communities. And so it was easier for us. I want to tell you, brother, you're going to have to do a self-assessment of yourself. And you're going to have to tell the truth. We've avoided the truth for so long, we don't even... We don't even know what the truth is sometimes. And so I would say, even as you're looking and as you're examining your fruit, you need to be asking one simple yet convicting question is that, and that is, do I desire freedom? Do I desire to be free? 100%. Because this is not a half-hearted fight. You and I already know that. We experience freedom for a number of days, maybe a number of weeks, maybe a month or two, and then we're right back in the pit where we started. And so the question, the number one question is, do you desire freedom? If you desire freedom, then you'll tell the truth to yourself. Then you'll do this assessment. I mean, Jesus, and we've talked about this numbers, num numerous times on the podcast, Jesus saw the cripple man, the sick man at the pool of Bethsaida and said, do you want to get well? Jesus knows all things. Why did he ask him that? And this man, he didn't answer and say, yes, Jesus, I want to get well. He started making excuses. And the truth is, you and I, a lot of times, get very comfortable in our sickness. This man had been ill since he was, a, since he was young. I think it said 38 years. 38 years. And so we get comfortable where we are. Maybe we're scared of what freedom looks like. Maybe we're scared of the steps to get to freedom. Think about this. If you think, if you go back to the Old Testament, if we're thinking back to the Old Testament, I was, I pulled this up this morning, Deuteronomy 1, verse 29. This is God speaking through Moses to the people. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. They, the children of Israel were at Kadesh Barnea, they were right on the line. They were ready to march into the promised land. They were right there. And Moses said, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord, your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Like You saw with your own eyes what he did to the Egyptians. When you crossed the Red Sea, the plagues, you saw all of that. And in the wilderness, 
verse 31, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place, Israel. You're right here. You're about to enter the promised land. Here you are. In verse 32, he says, yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out of that place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. So he's just recounting this incredible tragedy that the people came to the promised rest, the promised land. They had been saved out of Egypt, yet they weren't resting where God desired them to be yet. And they got there and they were scared. They were afraid. And a lot of times, men, you and I are afraid of the truth. We're afraid of the truth. What did they do? They were fearful. Why were they fearful? Because the spies came back with the fruit and the fruit was gigantic. And they said, oh my goodness, these people are ginormous. They're living there. They're Surely they're going to kick our tail. There's no way we can beat them. And so all the people grumbled and all the people were afraid and all the people said, nope, we're not going, we're not going to take it. And then Moses said, oh my goodness, that's it. We're wandering in the wilderness. We're wandering in the wilderness because you don't have faith, because you won't believe the promise of God and believe in his power. You are going, and I are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until every one of you passes away and your children and your grandchildren inherit the land. And what did they do? They were like, oh, and okay, now we see that God's serious. So in Deuteronomy, 141, they said, then you answer me. This is Moses saying, then you answer me, people of Israel. We have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. And every one of you fastened on his weapon of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to those people, do not go up or fight for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated by your enemies. What was what was the result of their lack of faith? It was a departure of the presence and the power of God. And so you and I have this incredible choice, this choice of fear or this choice of faith, which one will we take? God says over and over in his word, do not fear. So it's just a matter of do we believe what he tells us to believe? And honestly, I will tell you, going back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, you're infants. You don't even know the word. You're not eating meat. So how can you believe the promises if you're not meditating on the promises? If you're not reading the promises. Do you think that you can read your Bible once a week and have enough like promise fill you up to last you? It, it doesn't work like that. And we see it all throughout Scripture. So I want you to understand the first thing you need to do is take an honest assessment of where you are. I did this. Like I, I got a got my iPad and I just started writing down these things. What are the what is the honest assessment of all kinds of things? How I use my time, how I use my money, how I encourage or don't encourage my family, 
the people Lord's entrusted to me, how I act at work. Like I, I started writing all these things down and being very convicted at the same time. Number one, an honest assessment of yourself, tell the truth. The second, the second thing you must do is you must muster up all the faith you can and believe God can do it. You have to believe. Faith is the requirement for both salvation and sanctification. God did not save us just to abandon us. He, did we, we just read where God carried Israel. He said, like a father carries his son. This is what God is to you. He's your father. And he sent his one and only son to bring us back to him. Jesus died to bring us to God and live as his chosen children. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Further on in Deuteronomy 6, Moses says, when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land he swore to give our fathers and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Brothers, this is the key. We must believe God desires our freedom. He brought us out of Egypt. He saved us not just to be slaves to fear and pornography and numerous other sins, that would seek to entrap us and enslave us so that we can't fulfill the great commission, which is to make disciples. How can a man make disciples if he's living in habitual sin? He can't. He can't. So this is what Moses is saying, verse 23, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land he swore to give our fathers. Now, in a sense, we are still in our wilderness. In a sense, we are pilgrims. We're exiles. This place is not our home. So he's not saying settle down. And like he's saying, God brought you out of Egypt to give you rest in the land. So why don't more men believe God from free them God can free them from sexual sin? I believe this is my belief. I believe why this is not the case is because they don't open their Bibles in order to know God. If I could take each man who's struggling with pornography and teach them to study the word and to suck every bit of faith out of God's word, believing what he says. I wish I could do that. 
and this is, and I'm not doing it perfectly. My goodness, don't I don't want you to hear me say that I've got every I've got every answer and I know all things. But that's part of the Christian life. Part of the Christian life is just the struggle, and knowing that you know what I'll never stop growing in Christ. I'll never stop maturing. But what we can't afford to do is stay still and stay in our infancy and stay kids and children. We can't stay there. So knowing God is the key to your sanctification, right? And to know God, you have to have faith that he's going to reward those who seek him. So that leads you to seeking him and to he wants you to discover him. He wants to show you who he is so that we can then live out his commands. This is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God, so their conduct, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So Paul's saying, just as we told you like how the Christian life should be lived, and you're doing this, brothers, do it more and more. Add to, that's what Peter was talking about. I think in Second Peter, he's talking about add to your faith, virtue and virtue, hope and hope. And like, he's just saying, this is a never ending like growth in Christ. And then verse three, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Gentiles don't know God, and so they act like the world. Christians do know God, and so we should act like children of God. What Paul said earlier in 1 Thessalonians, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. So in Thessalonica, the Jews like stirred the city up against Paul, and they had to, they left there and went away. Pretty sure they went to Berea. It's because we'll read that read that in Acts here in just a second. So that you became an example, verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serving the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the church at Thessalonica. They received the word. They received what Paul was teaching. He said, this, and this is for your sanctification. This is, and you're very different than the Gentiles who don't know God. So, Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that, number one, God is able, and number two, God is willing? If you don't yet believe or are not sure, your next move is to give your full attention to discovering the character of God through his word. Just like I mentioned when Paul and Silas left Thessalonica, they came to Berea, and it says this about the Bereans in Acts 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, 
they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Brothers, you and I need to be examining the scriptures daily and believing what we read. So that's number two. Believe God can do it. So number three, pray and wait on God. Psalm 62, five and eight says this, five through eight, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. If you have been honest with yourself in your assessment, and if your faith has been stirred to believe in both the saving and the sanctifying power of God, then bow your head and your heart before God in humble prayer and wait on his deliverance. He can be trusted. He will surely answer the prayers of his children. Just pray and trust and have faith. If you don't have faith, pray for faith. I was chatting with a brother who's in our community, our group, and we were just having a private conversation. And he was talking about the battle, right? The battle, he said, I was tempted the other night, and what did I do? I, I just went and picked up my Bible, and I started reading, and I did some other things around the house, and man, the temptation went away, and it was great. And so we were talking, he said, but I, he was just mentioning, he said, I believe that this is war. <laughs> this is a battle. And so I responded to him and I said, what's crazy is that the battle really, a lot of times the battle with us guys is not to avoid the bad things, but it's to do the right things. So the right things that we know would bring us sanctification, prayer, and reading the word. Those are the things that we have to battle to do because our flesh says, no, don't do it. And we think the battle is to say no to porn. It's not, that's not the real battle. The real battle is to say yes to what we already know we should be doing and allow the Lord to birth desires in us that overpower our desire for pornography. The fact that we're still struggling with pornography is just proof that we don't know God yet. Like we don't know him, know him. And that should be your desire, brother. It's my desire for you, and it's my desire for myself. Like, I will continue. I want to grow in my knowledge of him. This will never stop. Number one was this honest assessment. Number two, believe God can do it. Number three is pray and wait on God. Just like the children of Israel, when they finally decided to take, they agreed, God, you've given us this land. We're going to... Take it. This is what this is the land you have chosen for us. You actually put our enemies before you brought us here so that they could cultivate the land so that when we took it, we would already have vineyards. We would already have crops. We would already have settlements. You did all this, God. <laughs> like this is God, you already, you rigged this whole thing. It's already prepared. Yes, I believe you want me to have victory over sexual sin. God does want you to have that. Do you believe it? 
If you do believe it, pray and wait. And then the last thing I would say, number four, the last thing is just commit to community. Commit to community. This is the biggest struggle I see with guys these days is just this this belief that, hey, I can do this myself. I can conquer this thing myself. I can... I don't need anybody else to know what's going on in my life. I can do it myself. And brothers, that's just not the way this life is supposed to be lived. If you're more concerned about people thinking you're holy than actually living a pure life, then that's a warning sign. Write that down in your assessment. I am more concerned about the praise of men rather than pleasing the Lord. Just write that down. You can confess that. If that's one of your motivations for why you've kept silent, for why you haven't committed to a community, then say it. Confess it. He forgives you. It's what Christ died for. It's better to confess and repent and say, God, help give me the strength to do the right thing, to do what you would honor and glorify and magnify your name. I was reading in Hebrews and just in my personal quiet time, just in Hebrews 10 and the writer, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he gives three statements here, three statements that you and I need. Statement number one is, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw close to God and worship God. Because we have Jesus Christ, because we've just looked at this doctrine of Christ and how glorious and magnificent he is, let it draw you closer to God and worship him. That's number one. The second let us phrase is in verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So hold on to hope and hold on to the truth and don't let go. This culture is going to try to convince you that everything is wrong about the Christian life. And it's not. You just want to believe the truth, like truth, truth in love. Is how we should think about this world. Like, how can I hold on to the truth and love my brother and my sister, my neighbor? But truth, I have to hold on to the truth. So he says, let us hold fast the confession. And then the fourthly, and this is this goes into under this point, which is commit to community. Lastly, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the ha- as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you don't have somebody encouraging you, stirring you up towards love and good works, I want to encourage you to find that community. You need it. I need it. I, yesterday, I just came back. I spent two days with a local group of brothers here in Birmingham. I've mentioned this, them on this podcast before, but this is my group that was started by a good friend of mine, and we meet on a quarterly basis in person. We have a monthly call. 
and it's we're we live in close proximity to each other and so it's it makes a lot of sense that we gather together once a quarter and typically we'll go we've been hiking and camping before we've been four-wheeling just we mix in just a fun activity with what we call return and report where we're sharing where we are across body being balance and business and then a lot of times we'll go to a brother's lake house and we'll spend time there. We'll also get out on the boat. And that's, to me, this is what I want. This group that the man of valor that we've started, this is what this is going to grow into. This is going to be a community of men who have fellowship with each other, who encourage each other, who stir one another up towards love and good works. And I believe that out of this group, there are going to be leaders who are then going into their neighborhoods and their churches and their communities and doing the same thing, doing the same thing. The freedom that they experience through Christ, they're going to then go and teach and show and encourage and exhort their brothers in their communities to do the same thing. So commit to community. Number one, just be honest with yourself. Tell the truth. Number two, believe, have faith that God can do it. Number three, pray and wait on God. He is more powerful. Don't try to manufacture this work. You can't do it. You've tried before. You failed. Like God allows us to fail over and over till we come to an end of ourselves. So pray and wait on God. And then fourth, commit to community. And this may be the scariest of all. Because committing to community is committing to transparency and committing to saying, you know what? I don't have all my stuff together. My life is not perfect. But let me tell you something, brother. Nobody's is. I had we had a brother on one of our calls recently telling us a little bit about his story and he happened to mention he said I'm not necessarily like my brother or sister-in-law they came to faith my brother and sister-in-law they came to faith when they were very young like 10 or 11 or 12 and they've always been in the faith I lived like this crazy life and didn't come to faith later in life and I brought all these issues along with me for my adult life of living without God. And I had to stop him. I said, brother, listen, nobody's life is perfect. Nobody has it all figured out. And the sooner we come to grips with that, the better. All right, brother. I hope that the Lord gives you grace to seek him and to find him and to call out to him and that, oh my goodness that your heart has changed, that your life has changed, that you begin to catch a vision for the man he wants you to become based on his word. I pray that he moves in you to do what is right out of the love, love for him ultimately, and then love for your fellow man. Like, Lord, I believe that there are men even listening to this who are, like, their calling will be to help other men just like them. So, Lord, give them the courage, give them the faith, 
by grace, lead them through sanctification, Father, even in the scariest parts when we're standing at the gate of Kadesh Barnea and we see like the world has giants and we're scared about what people are going to think about us and all. Give us faith in you, Father. Let us rest in you. You do the work. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, brothers. See you on the next episode.